This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. These are the very same people who led the nation of Israel into worship, and they have murder in their hearts. To make it even worse, they use flattery. Now, flattery, before we go in, because I want you to get an idea what flattery is before we get into it, the Bible has a lot to say about flattery. What is flattery? Just in case if you don't know or you're not sure flattery, the use of flattery is, flattery is excessive and insincere praise, and especially that given to further one's own interests. In today's message from Acts chapter 22, we'll hear about Paul's trial in Rome. The Jewish leaders were murderously angry at Paul because Paul preached the message of Jesus Christ. In order to further their malicious agenda, the Jewish leaders used coercion and flattery. Pastor Eddie teaches us about the dangers of using flattery for personal gain. God detests manipulation and falsehood, and flattery falls into these evil categories. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie for today's edition of Running the Race. Well, in chapter 23, we saw the Apostle Paul was... uh, in protective custody there at the Antonia Fortress. Uh, he was held there and saved by the commander, Claudius Lysus, who saved him about three times. If it wasn't for the Roman soldiers, he would have probably been uh, shredded to pieces. But um, the Lord used this commander and the Roman soldiers to keep him in protective custody because the Lord has not done with him yet. And so after Paul was in protective custody, Paul's nephew, the only mention in all the scripture of Paul's family, it only mentions that his, it mentions his sister's son. So the only information we have in the New Testament about Paul and his family is about he has a sister and he has a nephew. Uh, so Paul's nephew overhears this a crowd of over 30 men who had plotted to kill Paul. And how they were doing that? They made, a, they made an oath that they would, never, they would not eat or drink until they have killed Paul. And so his nephew overhears this plot. He goes over uh, to, um, to Paul there while he's at, in protective custody. He's not arrested. Um, he goes and he tells Uncle Paul exactly all that he's heard. They plot, they're plotting to kill him. And so Paul sends his nephew over to the commander to share with the commander what he have heard. And so he shared with the commander. The commander knew that he, his job was to protect them because Paul was a Roman citizen, and it wouldn't go well with uh, all of Rome if he didn't protect the citizen. And so to protect Paul, he uh, sends Paul to Felix, who's the governor there in Caesarea. He sends him with 470 soldiers. And talking about a motorcade, you know, I've seen this all the time in New York City when the dignitary comes or the president comes, like, it's like a, a, a caravan of vehicles and secret service. Uh, here, Paul has the same treatment uh, going to uh, Felix, the governor there in Caesarea. And so he, he sends him up some 65 miles northwest to Caesarea. And so Paul is now going to stand before another evil, corrupt man, 
um, he stood before the Sanhedrin council, and now he's going to go before this governor, uh, who's the procurator. Felix uh, was the governor of Judea uh, in the areas between A.D. 52 to A.D. 58. He is one of three Romans uh, procurators who are mentioned there in the New Testament. And according to biblical scholars and secular scholars alike, uh, they, they feel that Felix really had no business in being his, that position of power. He was a prisoner at one time, but, you know, he was known as a, you know, evil, crooked man. And so uh, Paul, you know, every time he goes before people, there's always someone that's, uh, that's evil. Uh, anyway, uh, nonetheless, he was the procurator, uh, the governor of Judea for Rome. Felix married uh, his wife, who was a Jewish woman by the name of Drusilla, Sounds like Dracula, but Drusilla, uh, and uh, she's a sister of Herod Agrippa II. So that's a little background of who Paul is going to stand before a uh, trial here. And so we continue in, in our study of Acts 24. In chapter 24, Luke, who's the author, he will give us almost equal space, equal amounts in, in three parts in chapter 24. First, we're going to see the charges that they're going to bring against the apostle Paul. Then Paul is going, to, uh, def- uh, is going to bring a defense against those charges. And thirdly, the response of Governor Felix. So it's broken up into three, almost three equal parts. So let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 24. And it says, now after five days, after five days, Paul has been there five days at Herod's, uh, Herod's praetorium. And now he's uh, going to be incarcerated in those days in Caesarea. Uh, if you're going to be incarcerated anywhere in Rome, Caesarea is a nice place to be incarcerated. I'll tell you why. It's a beautiful place. If you've been with us to Israel, if you've ever been to Israel, one of the stops that you'll make is in Caesarea. It's a seaport, and, you, and you could, it's just right there off the Mediterranean Sea, and it's beautiful. It's be- Even in its ruins, it's beautiful. It's amazing. You can see part of the amphitheater. They kind of rebuild portions of it. But you can see the Mediterranean Sea, and it's, and it's beautiful. You can just hear it, the breezes. There's nothing like it. So, you know, he has a good view there in prison. But again, he's not arrested. He's just in protective custody. Now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus, not Tertullius, the historian, but Tertullius, these, uh, these gave evidence to the governor against Paul. Ananias, along with the elders of the Sanhedrin, mostly they're going to be uh, those of the Pharisees, because you know the Sanhedrin is broken up into two groups, the Sanhedrins, I mean the Sadducees and the, and the Pharisees. But we're going to see why it's going to be mostly all Pharisees that are going to be along with Ananias. And then we have the orator named Tertullus. Tertullus was uh, an eloquent speaker. And he was hired as an attorney, uh, really to go against Paul, obviously. But he wasn't just hired for his knowledge and his experience in law. He was hired for his skill in flattery. And we're going to see this. As well, you know, we'll see in the next couple of verses, in verses 2 to 8, as he brings the charges against Paul. We're going to see the most nauseating flattery ever. <laughs> and you're going to see why. So anyway, just keep in mind, this is the reason why. The Jews and the Romans, they hated each other. They hated each other with a passion. And so now, the Jews hated anyone who wasn't a Jew. More so if they were a Roman. A Roman Gentile. 
And so the fact that, the, you know, that the Jews and all of Israel were under Rome, the, the powers of Rome and the authority of Rome, they even hate them even all the more. And so the orator is speaking on behalf of the Jews, trying to persuade, he's going to try to persuade Felix with flattery and to put Paul to death. Now, these are the, just to think about this for a minute before we go any further. These are the same guys that lead all of Israel into worship on the Sabbath there in the temple. And they are going against Paul. Not so much to go against Paul as how they go against Paul. They broke so many laws, even in the, uh, the laws, that, you know, the Levitical laws as Jews, but also even to try to persuade Rome to bend their laws. And all they had was murder in their heart. They wanted to destroy Paul, you know, in the most worst way possible. These are the very same people who led the nation of Israel into worship, and they have murder in their hearts. To make it even worse, they use flattery. Now, flattery, before we go in, because I want you to get an idea what flattery is before we get into it, the Bible has a lot to say about flattery. What is flattery? Just in case if you don't know or you're not sure flattery, the use of flattery is, flattery is excessive and insincere praise, especially that given to further one's own interests. That is what flattery is. And there is a difference between flattery and a compliment. Don't confuse the two. And I'm pretty sure that we all know the difference between the two. You know when someone's complimenting you honestly, and you know when someone's trying to use flattery. There's a difference, a big difference between the two. And, you know, with a compliment, we know that a compliment is a sincere acknowledgement of admiration spoken to praise a person so that person receiving the compliment, right, will benefit from the praise. I don't know about you, but I like to encourage people with a compliment, just to encourage them with the praise. Not to flatter them, just to get uh, something out of it. Because people who flatter... Only, uh, uh, they only do it, you know, to benefit themselves. Those that flatter always have an agenda. They always have a plan. They do it just to get you. And once they flatter you and you fall into it, uh, you feel like as if though you're in bondage. <laughs> as if though like you owe them something because they just spoke so well to you, whether it's the truth or not. Even if you know it's not the truth, like they're really exaggerating. You know, it feels, makes you feel like you, 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 you owe them something, so it makes you feel guilty. Here's a couple of verses when it comes to flattery. Now, uh, it may use the word flattery, but we understand the, the, the misuse of the tongue and how people try to manipulate people with the tongue, and it's very deceitful, very deceitful. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 3, it says, By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words, for a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Romans chapter 16, verse 18. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speeches, speech, deceive the heart of the simple. Psalms 5, verse 9. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Now, I'm sure you all have personally experienced someone flatter you. I know I have. Especially, you know, in ministry, uh, it's, uh, it's not happened here. Thank God for that. 
But I'll hear some people say, oh, man, Pastor, that was awesome. I just love the way you teach the word. Or I love the Bible. So I love the people here. And, you know, they come from another church. And, you know, I don't know what background or what happened in the other church. And, and they will come and try to flatter and say, oh, I just love it here. It's so awesome. But when the, the truth is spoken and they don't get their way, they're no longer in the picture. It happens all the time. And they make it feel because they flatter you all the time that, you know, you, now you feel obligated to give them the attention or put them in position, you know. It happens all the time. Flattery, trying to get somewhere in the ministry and have their way with the leadership until the truth is spoken. And so these evil men that, we're gonna, that Paul is, is, is standing before will use flattery uh, uh, to persuade another evil man to, you know, kill one of God's apostles, And so the enemy, you know, always understand this. The enemy would do anything to destroy God's people. Here's another thing. He doesn't play by the rules. He doesn't play by the rules. He'll do anything to destroy you. He doesn't play by the rules. Now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And so, by way of lies and flattery, Tertullus would bring the charges against Paul, verse 2. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation saying, seeing, now here's the flattery, it's so sickening, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix with all thankfulness. Isn't that nauseating? I mean, if you understood the background of the relationship between Rome and, and, and Israel, um, through Felix, they've experienced great peace and prosperity? Really? The Jews never had peace and prosperity in Rome. Under Rome, they lost their power, their freedom, their privileges. And the, Jewish, the Jews hated the, the, the Roman Empire. They hated Romans. And all the people, of all the people, I'm sorry, of all the people, Felix had robbed the people, robbed them blind, and even hired people to help them do it. And so this is what they're saying, the great peace and prosperity. It's nauseating. Verse 4, nevertheless, Not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. In other words, I don't want to bore you, you know, after that praise and and all that flattery. I don't want to bore you, but I beg of you just listen to us for a moment. This is why they hired him. It couldn't be Ananias the high priest because probably he doesn't know how to communicate with people. It couldn't be the Pharisees because all they know is about law and bringing judgment. So they hired someone who was skillfully eloquent in speech, someone who knew how to flatter someone. And this is how he begins. And so he said, I don't want to, you know, bore you with anything. I don't want to take your time after he soups them up. And here are the charges he has, they, they bring against Paul, verse five, for we have found this man, a plague, a creative dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and the, and a ringlinger of a sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple. And we seized him and wanted to judge him according to the law. So the charges against Paul 
are this. Number one, that he was a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. This is number one. This is the first thing they bring before Felix. This guy, he causes trouble. He causes, in other words, riots. Now, understanding that they all knew, all the Jews knew, and and of course Rome, because it was their law, that the Roman Empire viewed any and all riots equivalent to rebellion. It was illegal to start a riot or be a part of a riot. It was illegal. And this is what they're trying to bring against Paul. As if Paul brought a riot or caused a riot. He may be the reason of the riot, but he didn't start the riot. We find throughout, if you've been with us through our study, you read all the chapters throughout Paul's ministry. Has Paul ever started a riot? No, they went against him. The Jews and the leaders, they caused a riot against Paul because he's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Paul, who was a Jew, accepted Jesus Christ and he's ministering to Gentiles. They don't, they They do not want Jews to associate with Gentiles, let alone to have a God in common. And so this was all a lie. Uh, this This is what they're bringing against Paul. Paul was there in the temple. They caused a riot against him. And, you know, this is so serious to the, to the Roman government, and this is the reason why. Uh, if you were here when we had our study, when, when Paul gave his testimony to the worshipers there in Israel, in Israel they have, it is called the Antonia Fortress, is a fort that's built for the Roman soldiers to observe those who are worshiping, to, to look out to see if there's anyone causing a riot or a rebellion against Rome. And so this is why they had that fortress there, so they can observe and see all these things. And so we know that Paul didn't create any of the riots. You know, they went against Paul. He never caused, no matter, anywhere he went to, he's never caused a riot. All he has done is share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they consider him a ringleader. The second charge they brought against Paul is that they, he says, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. Now, for you students, this is the only place in the New Testament the word Nazarene is used to describe Christians. The only place to describe Christians, this is the only place. And coming from Tertullus is the reason why he does this. Why is he using, he's calling these people who believe in Jesus Christ Nazarenes. Well, we know that Christians were really known as people of the way. They were known as the, as the way, as we're going to see further on. They weren't called Christians till later. And it's only used about three times in all New Testament, where the New Testament describes those who believe in Jesus Christ, even in those days, as Christians. But he's calling them as a Nazarene. It's by way of an insult, because if you remember, what he's doing is he's bringing out this title, this name for the group that believes in Jesus Christ, because what he's doing is he's invoking an old phrase. You remember when Nathaniel, when Jesus was calling his disciples and they got Nathaniel and they said, hey, we found the Messiah. Really? He's from Nazarene. He says, does any good thing come out of Nazareth? Remember that? It's because Nazareth is known as like kind of the ghetto, you know? Any Jesus, the Messiah came from that? Really? That's like coming, you know, from somewhere in the, you know, uh, I'm not going to mention it because I don't want to offend any towns, but that's, you know, some really rough areas, you know? And so, so this is what he's kind of bringing up. Because Felix, a governor, 
knows the people who believe in Jesus Christ, they're known as the way. The high priest, the Pharisee, the Sadducee, the whole Sanhedrin council, everyone knew that those who believe in Jesus Christ were the people of the way. And that's what we're known as. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a people of the way. That is the New, that is the New Testament uh, definition for you who are believers. That was the first title. You remember when Paul went, uh, he, he got letters from when he was Paul, when his name was Saul before his conversion to Christianity. He was Saul of Tarsus, Saul the Pharisee, Saul the terrorist against the Christian. He was persecuting the church. He had letters and he says, I'm going after people of the way. So Tertullus is describing in a way of insult that Paul is from this sect, this cult of people of the way. And we are people of the way. Now, we will be called, you know, people of the way, but it's not more than a title for us. For us, of being the way is a lifestyle. Everything we do, we live according to the word of Christ. It's a lifestyle. It's not just a title. And so now, um, Roman gave, you know, the, the, the Romans in those days, they gave every religion around the world, everywhere that Rome took control around the world, they gave every religion the freedom to worship their God. There's only one religion that they did not. It was Christianity, people of the way. Because even to Felix, in the back of his mind, he knows as a Roman uh, that, hey, yeah, those are people of the way, that's a cult. They even themselves consider it a cult. So Paul is, he's on trial. You know, the people that are going against Paul are against people of the way. And the people, the, the judge, the governor is against people of the way. If Paul wasn't a Roman citizen, he would have been dead a long time ago. But because he's a Roman citizen, I don't think Felix wants the responsibility of his death. And so he's listening to him. He's a people of the way. And so the third charge that, that Tertullus and, and the uh, religious leaders bring against Paul says, he even tried to profane the temple. That was back in 21, chapter 20. Remember when we read, we read chapter 21? Paul, they told Paul, you know, James and all the leaders, which by the way, where are they? Remember when Paul made it to Jerusalem? He came back, you know, after his third missionary journey, and churches were, were being birthed out all over Asia Minor, uh, Galatia, uh, and all the Gentiles are being saved through Jesus Christ. And so, remember, he collected all this love offering, and he came to Jerusalem. When he came to Jerusalem, and James and the church, the very first church, the mother church, when the day of Pentecost, when the birth of the church started, you know, they say, hey, listen, uh, Paul, Everybody's heard about you. You want to you want to you want to be in good terms with the Jews and all of Israel. Just show them that you know that you have nothing against the laws of Moses. Just go to the temple. Here's a couple of guys. Pay for their worship, and because what happened, they took a Nazarite vow, and they see you there paying for them. They say, "Hey, listen, you got nothing against the gods. You know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You got nothing against the laws." We hope that today's edition of Running the Race has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Milford, Pennsylvania area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on Running the Race are produced from the worship services at Calvary Chapel of Milford. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in church. Then please join us. We have services every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. 
as well as an in-depth midweek Bible study every Wednesday at 7 p.m. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to runningtheraceradio.com and then simply click on Service Times. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support Running the Race. Radio programs like Running the Race are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see running the race expand throughout the tri-state area. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting running the race? Log on to runningtheraceradio.com and simply click on the Give option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you. Please join us next time for another edition of Running the Race.